Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the gospel according to Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 8, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 22. Now, in a previous episode, we overviewed the general structure. And just to quickly rehearse that, uh, chapters 8 and 9 are presenting Jesus as the Messiah indeed, whereas 5 through 7 presented him as the Messiah in word. There are three sets of three miracle stories Uh, three groups of miracle stories in uh, chapters 8 and 9. And in this episode, we're going to look at the first cycle. So we'll look at three miracle stories. And then at the end of each cycle of three miracle stories, uh, Matthew inserts uh, something about discipleship towards the end. So let's begin in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 8. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And a servant was healed that same hour. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. In this cycle, we have three miracle stories followed with a 
um, a little statement about the nature of discipleship. It's not entirely clear. If you look at the commentaries, they go back and forth, and no one really has a certain answer as to what unites or glues together the sets of stories. But as we read through these three uh, stories of Jesus's miracles, it becomes clear that Matthew wants to emphasize the greatness of who Jesus is, his power, and his authority to do any miracle that he needs to do, and also the kinds of people who benefit from the miracles that Jesus performs. Let's take a look at the first one, Jesus' cleansing of a leper. One thing that stands out about this text is the um, severity of leprosy. That's something kind of for many of us, uh, it's difficult for us, for us to enter into. Uh, leprosy in Jesus' day is not necessarily the exact same thing as what we call leprosy today, but uh, there's a little bit of mystery shrouding exactly what it was. But whatever it was, it was a uh, permanent disease. Of course, the book of Leviticus describes what procedures must be taken in order for someone to be pronounced clean from their leprosy. However, we don't really have any instances of people being cleansed from leprosy unless it was by an incredible miracle. Maybe you remember the story of the healing of Naaman. Uh, he packs all, up all of his stuff because he hears that uh, someone in Israel will be able to cleanse him from his leprosy. And he gives his letter to the king, and the king responds um, by tearing his clothes and saying, Am I God to give death or life? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So the idea is that if you say that you can uh, cleanse someone from their leprosy, if you could heal that disease, you really are uh, a great miracle worker. This man would have been ostracized from his community. He would have been cut off as, as perpetually unclean. And yet notice the incredible faith that this man has. He has a permanent uh, debilitating disease, and yet he comes to Jesus, and his only concern is, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This kind of puts Jesus up in the status of, well, of God himself. All that matters is if Jesus wants to. And of course, uh, the Lord Jesus responds and says that he, he is willing. This posture of Jesus being presented in, in a godlike manner is also emphasized by the leper falling down on his knees and, and worshiping Jesus. Jesus then responds, after he has been cleansed, simply by touching the man, Go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses has commanded as a testimony to them. What, is exact, what exactly is going on here? Well, notice how Jesus has touched the man. Now, if you're familiar with the laws of being clean versus unclean, you know that you're not allowed to touch an unclean person. Normally, the way that disease or uncleanness travels is from the unclean to the clean. But Jesus upsets those rules. Uh, so, on the one hand, he wants the man to give the gifts and the offering that he's supposed to in continuity with the law of Moses. He's obeying Torah and what Moses has commanded. And yet there's something very clearly different happening here, where Jesus does not abide by the normal clean-unclean distinctions. Um, in other words, if he was simply playing by the rules, he should not have been able to touch the man. 
So on the one hand, uh, Jesus is someone who is obeying the law and yet someone who has authority over issues of clean and unclean. Now, I can just imagine what would happen if this man were to make the trip from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem to see the priests and tell them what had happened. I could just imagine with a little bit of uh, sanctified creativity that the priests there would uh, have to go back and look up the handbook and say, wait a minute, what do we do? What kind of an offering really do we have to offer for somebody who's been pronounced clean from leprosy? This has never happened before. And this would have been a testimony to them showing the great power that Jesus himself had. Again, as somebody who is keeping the law, but also has the power of clean versus unclean. The next story continues on in this theme of clean versus unclean. The centurion doesn't want Jesus to enter into his own house because he knows the Jewish rules that to eat with a Gentile would be to make you unclean. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Peter and uh, the healing of the centurion. Peter is reluctant to go into this person's house because doing so would make him unclean. Or maybe we can think about the way that John describes the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. The, the Pharisees don't go into Pilate's house because they don't want to be made unclean. Um, and yet, here's this person who, for a Jewish person, uh, is unclean because he's a Gentile. And yet, like this leper, he has a high view of Jesus and calls him Lord and says, I also am a person under authority, and whatever I say goes. Similarly, I know that whatever you say goes. So uh, both the leper and the centurion have uh, great faith despite being outsiders. And uh, as before, Jesus welcomes the leper, touches him, uh, includes him. In the same way, Jesus says that this uh, Gentile will be included in the great feast, the great end times feast, with a bunch of Jewish people. And yet we take another step forward. Not only is this story surprising in who will be included, it's also surprising in who it says will be excluded. There will be people who will be cast out. Now the imagery here is of a brightly lit um, banquet feast. And think about like a tent with a bunch of lights all over the place. If you are excluded from that, there aren't street lamps back then, you are then put outside where there's a place of regret and mourning and weeping. In other words, this speaks very strongly of being excluded uh, from the banquet, which is the kingdom of heaven. So uh, both stories have the idea of inclusion, but the story of the centurion takes it a step farther with talking about the opposite reality, and that's exclusion. And all of this depends on how a person relates by faith to Jesus. In our next account, we have uh, something very brief about um, Peter's mother-in-law being healed. And this is connected with Jesus being able to heal all sorts of people, uh, even perform incredible exorcisms. And notice uh, how he does it. In verse 16, we're told that he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Now, this is said to be in fulfillment of prophecy. And here, Matthew quotes a very famous passage from the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Now, most Christians, when they go back and read Isaiah 53, rightly can only see Jesus in that passage. It just see, seems to speak so clearly about how he has uh, 
sacrificially and substitutionally laid down his life as a payment, as a ransom for the sin of many. And that fits well with uh, the theology of the gospel according to Matthew. And yet the way that Matthew incorporates Isaiah 53 uh, isn't exactly what we would expect. Let's read from that famous passage. I'll start in verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So then, incorporating the way that Matthew sees it, uh, verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, is about the miraculous and compassionate ministry of the Lord Jesus. Uh, the idea of Isaiah 53, as Matthew reads it, is that he was despised and rejected, even though he had done so much to help people and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, still people nonetheless thought that he was uh, cursed by God when he dies on the cross. Now that's important for us as we go back to Matthew chapter 8, because Jesus is doing incredible miracles and it seems like his fame and popularity is growing, but Matthew is subtly alluding to the fact that um, he's going to have a great reputation and yet people will not be fully persuaded about who he is and the tide of opinion will turn against Jesus. And the result is that people will uh, persecute and kill the Lord Jesus. And this fits beautifully with what we have next about the cost of discipleship. In this last little unit, we have people approaching Jesus saying that they want to be his follower. Look at all the great things that he's doing. But he warns them, if you're going to be my follower, it's not all going to be miracles and fun times. There will be persecution lying in front of you. Both of Jesus' statements to these different individuals sound really harsh, and there are ways we can mute them a little bit. Jesus actually did have a home. Uh, This seems to be hyperbole, and maybe the man was asking for too much time, waiting for his father to die in the distant future. But the way that their phrase is important, they're supposed to be stark, they're supposed to be harsh and challenge us. Will we really... uh, pay the cost of following Jesus and endure the difficulties that that requires. The overall idea of this section is that Jesus has the power to heal anyone, and he creates a new family, a new community around him full of unexpected people. But if we want to be a part of it, it will require that we make some pretty harsh decisions. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.